Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26. So does Jesus really have the power to forgive sins? Does he really have that authority? And we're going to see that today. That's really the focus of this passage, that it's not so much the healing of the lame man. That's not the focus. The focus is on Jesus forgiving his sins. So let's read that together. Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26. Hear God's word. Luke 5, verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as Jesus was teaching that there were Pharisees and the teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. You know, that was the question that was asked to me not long, not long ago. How do we know that Jesus really is the one? How do we know he really is the one who forgives sins? He says he does, right? Yes. But so do many other people from other religions. Different people are saying that they have authority to give sins. How do we know that Jesus is the only one who has the authority, the power to forgive sins? And that's what really we want to answer this morning. That's what this passage answers this morning. And we see two things. How do we know? Well, first of all, he declares. Declares like it's his, he pronounces. He declares his power to forgive sins. And then he shows his power to forgive sins. So make no mistake about it. He's the only one. He's the one sent by the Father. Remember the anointed one, Luke chapter 4? The one who is 
uh, sent to set, one who's sent to set captives free, right? Captives free from their sinfulness. He's the one appointed by the Father, anointed by the Father, from the very beginning of history, even to the very end. The one, the one and only mediator. And that's what we see this morning, is first of all, he declares his authority to forgive sins, and he shows his authority. And notice, he does so in the midst of people who are opposing him. Just like today, there are many that oppose his teaching, that are against him. And you see that in that day too, when Jesus was teaching. So we come to our first point, verses 17 to 21, right? He declares his authority in the midst of the congregation there with opponents who are also present. If you look at verse 17, where's Christ teaching? Not in a synagogue, not in the assembly, but he's teaching in somebody's house. Whose house? We don't know. It doesn't say whose house it is, but we know one thing. That house was really, really, really full of people. It was so full that you could hardly get, I mean, you couldn't get anybody else in through the back door or through the front door. It was that crowded, that crowded with people. And the house is um, the place where Jesus is standing, or you could say sitting with authority, and he's teaching, he's teaching the people. Now, among the people that have come, there's people who are really, really interested in listening to Jesus. They're hanging on to every word, just listening intently, very excited to hear what he has to say. And there's also other people who thought, eh, let's come today and and they're a little bit curious, and they want to satisfy their curiosity. We want to hear what he has to say. But the focus here in verse 17 are on the critics. On the critics whom Satan is planting among the listeners. Satan does not want Jesus to succeed. From the very beginning of history, Satan knew the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve, that there would be one who would come to crush the head of Satan, and come to save his people and forgive them. The Savior has come. We read here, as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. You can imagine, Pharisees, teachers of the law, those are the critics, and they're coming from everywhere. They're, they're planting themselves they want to persuade the people to get to go away from Jesus. That's what. That's why they're there. They're there to oppose Jesus and to take people away because they see that people are starting to listen and follow to him. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who were they? They were religious leaders among the Jews. And you know what they taught? We can say a lot about them. But basically, they were teaching that you can gain eternal life. You can gain acceptance with God by doing good works, right? That's, that's still what many people in the world teach today, the religions of the world. You can gain acceptance with God by doing all kinds of good works and good deeds. You can get there by your own righteousness. And Jesus is teaching something very different. We know that through Jesus, God gives all things freely, and Christ through faith. 
not by our works, but by his grace. What does God give freely? Forgiveness, life, and a kingdom. Those are all things he gives to all who believe on him. And the scribes didn't want anything to do with Jesus' teaching. Because you know what? It upset them. It upset their whole way of life and upset their teaching that they were, that, that they say that they were the only way, that their teaching was that uh, works was the only way to be right with God. Okay? So in verses 18 through 20, we see Christ now challenging his opponents. Christ is the one who has authority. He's the one sent from God. Very God of very God, the Son of God, the mediator. And he knows that these people, these religious leaders, have been planted among the people by Satan to try to disturb and even destroy the, the good news, the teaching of Christ. And in verses 18 through 20, Christ brings out into the open the division between him and them, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He brings out the dividing line between those who believe and those who don't believe in him. How does he challenge them? Jesus knew very well, Jesus is Lord. He's the one who draws four men with a leper, or sorry, with a paralytic to come to the house. As he's teaching, four men, probably four friends of the, of the paralytic come carrying a lame man on a tiny little bed to Jesus. A tiny little bed was probably very simple, probably very flat cot with maybe straw inside, very simple. This man is not able to move at all. He can't move his arms, can't move his hands, his fingers. He can't move his, his legs, his feet. It reminds me of a person I met one time, a 29-year-old lady who had multiple cirrhosis. When I would meet with her, she was very, she, she was a strong believer in Jesus, but only thing she could move was her head. Nothing else. And every once in a while, she would say, can you scratch my forehead because it's itchy? And there she was. She could, she could move her head, and that was it. Crippled. Imagine, this is the kind of man that's laying there on a cot. You know, people like that were not seen as so much worth in those days. But here you have four friends, four helpers, who are willing to sacrifice their time, their day. Don't forget, they didn't come in a car. They came walking down the dusty road, carrying the cot with a lame man, one man on each corner, walking down the road. People must have laughed at them. Look at that, they're giving attention to this man. But they keep on walking. They keep on pursuing because they know that there's one in this house. They heard about him. Jesus, that's the one they, they want to go to. They want to bring him to Jesus, their helpless, totally helpless friend. What a beautiful example of faith working through love. I mean, a beautiful example for the, for the congregation too. Faith working through love in society where these people were 
treated like nothing. They reach the door of the home. And what do the people say? Come on in. We'll make room for you. No, they didn't do that. They didn't make any room. Maybe they could have made a little trail because we know afterwards they made a trail for him when they found, oh, he's healed. But now the, it's so full, so crowded that they, they block the doorway. There's no way. They try to get in and there's, no, there's not even a crevice where they can come in with that man, with the lame man and the four friends together. They're not going to move for him. And yet, does this stop them? What do they do? Well, guess what? On the outside of the house, there's a stair, a stairway that goes up to the top of the roof. That's where they're going to go. You can imagine, it's not easy carrying a little bed going up the stairs. You don't want the man to fall off the cot. And you're taking great care, taking him up, four men, to get to the top of the roof. No doubt, they must have studied where Jesus was standing when they went inside. Where do they go on the roof? The exact place where Jesus is underneath. And they start digging. First of all, they take off a tile, probably a big tile, ceramic tile. And then they start digging. There's all kinds of noise. You can imagine when Jesus is teaching, maybe it was annoying the crowds. They hear kind of noise. They hear digging. And eventually they see some mud falling into the room. And eventually there's a big hole big hole. It's like a hole in the roof that everyone can now see, see, the, see the sky. What happens? What they do is with a rope on each corner of the cot, the foreman then lower the cot, they lower the bed, and they place the lame man right in front of Jesus. And you say, well, how rude. The crowds must have been thinking, how rude. But no, Jesus doesn't see rudeness. What does he see? He sees faith. Right? That they would, no, nothing stopped them. There was no obstacle that stood in their way. They overcame those obstacles by faith. And what happens? Right in front of him, Jesus can look down and see his very sad eyes. And those eyes are looking up at him, no doubt afraid. He knows he has many many sins. It's not necessarily the sins that cause a paralysis. We shouldn't connect the two, right? But even a paralytic has, like all of us, has many, many sins. That's what's bothering him, his sins. His sins are weighing heavy on him. Yes. What does Jesus see? He sees their faith. That's the first thing Jesus sees. He doesn't see that he's paralyzed. That's not the first thing Jesus sees. He sees their faith, how they were willing to overcome every obstacle, come to him and offer him the man that needed so much grace. And there he is. And it was a father's will, not only to give them faith to come, but it was also a father's will before the entire crowd that Jesus should show that he has the power of redemption. He has the power to forgive sins. It was time to reveal that. And immediately, Jesus declares to the lame man, man, he says, that's the word there, and Mark uses the word son. But here, man, your sins are forgiven. That's a declaration. Literally, it should say, man, forgiven 
are your sins. The, the emphasis here is on forgiven. They have been forgiven and they remain forgiven. But the point here is Jesus declares it. He declares it. More important than healing his, par- his paralysis is Jesus forgiving his sins. This is a far greater miracle because without forgiveness of sins, there can be no right relationship with God. The only way we can have a right relationship with God is forgiveness of sins. Suppose Jesus healed his, suppose Jesus healed him from his paralysis, but his sins are not forgiven. What is that? So what? The most important thing in life is that our sins are forgiven that we have someone who will forgive our sins and bring us into a right relationship with God and be and, and to be declared acceptable in his sight. You know, no matter who Jesus addresses, Jesus never takes sin lightly. What does sin involve? When we sin, there's two things. There's guilt, the guilt of sin, and with that guilt comes punishment and fear. All these things come together. Where does the guilt come from? Well, God made us for what purpose? To glorify him, to obey him. Guilt comes from not glorifying him, not obeying him. That's where the guilt comes from. And what's the punishment of that? Death. Jesus says, or God says in Romans chapter uh, 3, 23, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then it says the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. You know, the matter of our guilt can never be resolved by doing good things. We can do all kinds of good works. Do this good, help someone across the street, carry somebody's groceries, look after someone in a nursing home. All those things will never take care of of our sins. It'll never remove sins. The punishment remains. And that's the worst form of paralysis. The worst form of paralysis is not being forgiven. I mean, think about on the streets today, the anger, the bitterness. A lot of it is just an overflow of the guilt of sin that people carry and the burdens they carry in themselves. And here comes Jesus, this man who's terrified because of the guilt he's carrying and the sins he's committed and the punishment he knows is coming. And here comes Jesus and he says, man, and Jesus is rejoicing. He sees their faith. Forgiven, forgiven are your sins. It's a declaration. It's a declaration that Jesus is the one who frees. He declares freedom from guilt and from the punishment of sin. He's not only come to proclaim forgiveness, but he's come to provide forgiveness. And that, on what basis? On the basis of his own finished sacrifice on the cross. Because on the cross, he would take the guilt of our sin upon himself and take the punishment for it by dying on the cross through his death. Wow. 
by his power, he says to the paralytic, your sins canceled, done, no longer held against you. Wow, this man will be willing to be paralyzed for the rest of his life because this is the greatest news that God accepts him. He's forgiven. The result is that his sins are no longer held against him. You know, sometimes we hold sins against one another. Even when we forgive one another, we still hold them against. That's not God. What does he do? When he forgives our sins, he throws them into the bottom of the sea and, and, and forgets them forever. And that's what Jesus does here. And you know, there's more than that. He cancels the sins. He cancels uh, the paralytic's debt. But also, uh, he brings a, the, the paralytic into a new relationship with the Lord. It's a relationship of peace and joy. Even in the midst of his very sad condition, he's not able to move. Maybe his head, but he's got that joy. He's got that happiness of knowing that he's forgiven. Romans 5 verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine being adopted as sons and daughters through faith in Christ. Yes, yeah, a fact that this man became a son of God at that moment. Of course, if you don't believe in Jesus, you'll find fault. You'll always find, and that's what you notice in the world, right? You, you always find a reason. People always find a reason why they shouldn't believe in Jesus. Well, I wasn't born as a Christian. I wasn't raised as a Christian. Or my culture teaches me this. But look at verse 21 as well. The scribes were trying to find fault. They did, the reason is, the reason why they don't believe is because they didn't want to believe. That's the real reason. It was not an intellectual problem. It was a moral problem. See verse 21? The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're thinking he's not God. Right? They're thinking Jesus is not God, the Son of God. Notice, they don't say this out loud, but what does Jesus see? Jesus hears it. He hears their diabolical reasonings going on in their heart, these thoughts going back and forth. He's listening to all of it, even though they're not even whispering it. It's just thoughts going on inside of their hearts. You know, Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. You know, a heart, a person's heart, shows what a person is really like. And that's, this is what they're thinking, and that's what they're really like. So yeah, here they're carrying a dialogue within themselves. They're accusing Jesus of blasphemy. Because if Jesus is not God, and he's making himself to be God, then that's blasphemy, right? And according to Leviticus 24, if you commit blasphemy, you have to be put to death. Who can forgive sins but God alone, they say. If Jesus is not God, you're right. But isn't Jesus God? Then he can forgive sins. They're right. He can forgive sins. Or God does forgive sins. But they don't realize that Jesus is God. He is God. You know, the point is this. Either Jesus is who he claims to be, 
God, the one who forgives sins, or he is a madman, a liar. Then he's blaspheming by wrongfully claiming that he's God when he in fact is not. There's nothing in between. Either he says who he is, the one who is God, or as C.S. Lewis would say, he's a madman and a liar. Which one? Which one is he? That's, that's what the scribes and Pharisees are faced with. Who's right? Both can't be right. Oh, yes, you can say, well, it's easy for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven. I mean, you can't disprove it, right? You can't see it. You can't look into a person's heart to see if it's actually true that Jesus is forgiven. You can't actually go into the presence of God and see if that person is actually forgiven. Yeah, sure, right. Jesus knew what the Pharisees and scribes were thinking. And, and now Jesus shows. He shows by deed that he is God, truly the Son of God that he alone has the power to forgive sins. You know, he has the power to forgive sins. Why? Because he alone has the victory over Satan, death, hell, and sin. Therein lies his power to forgive sins. Has anyone in this world, from the beginning to the end, ever risen from the dead, that is, who has claimed, who has, who has um conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell. Jesus declared it. Certainly there's been rising, Jesus raising people from the dead, but he himself rose from the dead, declaring victory over sin, over Satan, over death, and over hell. Therein lies the victory. Therein lies his power to forgive sins. There is not another who can do that. And so you see, Jesus backs up his declaration you want to see it? I'll show you. I'll show you that I have the authority. He's saying this before the scribes and for the Pharisees and before all. They don't have the last word. He has the last word. Look at verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, Jesus is seeing everything that's going on in their hearts. What does that show us about Jesus? He's God. He sees everything what's going on in their hearts. Jesus rebukes them. Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to rise up and walk? Which is easier? What would you say? Your, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? Jesus is saying, you think the harder thing is to say, get up and walk, because people see that. People see that. But you don't want to believe, I can forgive sins. And that's something you don't see. So you think it's easier, but you don't see it. But it's in fact a reality. It's a declaration. In your reasoning, he's saying to the scribes, you say, prove it. Well, those signs are not the most difficult. Forgiveness from sin is what is most important. And now Jesus takes away all their excuses. 
for not believing in him. Verse 23, he says that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and go to your house. And the man said, I can't. You can only move his head. Yeah, but who can? Who can enable him? Jesus. He shows he has the authority to forgive sins. He enables the man by faith to get up out of his bed, just like you get up in the morning. He hasn't walked for years. Maybe he was never able to walk. And what does he do? He takes up his cot, rolls it up, and walks right out. Oh, all of a sudden, the crowd makes space for him. All of a sudden, they realize, wow, this is quite something. This is strange, what we see among us. They make room. They show great respect. Jesus reveals that he has the authority to forgive. He shows it. Everyone sees a broken man made whole. Verse 26, and they were all amazed. They glorified God. We're filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. All are amazed. The word here, all, is general. It doesn't mean every last person. Who else was there? The Pharisees and the scribes. They did not experience a sudden change of heart and mind. But Jesus, however, silenced them. He shut their mouths. They had nothing more to say. He gained the victory. He shows it. He shows he has the authority to forgive sins. What a comfort, eh? To know the truth of this. He has the authority to cancel, take away, remove guilt and the punishment for sin. The scribes and Pharisees, they lose the argument. All unbelief will lose the argument. Unbelief has no ground to stand on. In the long run, they will not allow themselves to be silenced because they still are... The, the, the problem is, is they don't, they, they hate Jesus. That's the real problem. The problem is not a lack of evidence. The problem is they don't like him. They hate him. They don't acknowledge him as the one who has the power to forgive. And yet, there is victory here too. For these very men whom God had in his plan to crucify the Messiah, these very men whom God in his plan had to, uh, in his plan to crucify the Messiah, God will use to secure forgiveness through a sacrifice on the cross for all who believe in him. You know why they end up crucifying Jesus? Because he claimed to be God. And yet God uses that to, for our salvation, because on the third day he arose again from the dead, proving, showing that he is God and that he has the power and authority to forgive sins. Look at Luke, how Luke ends, the Gospel of Luke ends by saying this. It was necessary for Jesus to suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations, not just to a roomful, but to all the nations of the world. So what may we learn from Jesus here? First, to live a full, blessed life. We need forgiveness of sin. There's no other way to experience the fullness and blessing of life. We need the forgiveness of sin. And to die a good death, we need the forgiveness 
of sin. That's so central to the gospel. Christ forgives sins. Without him, there is no forgiveness of sins. You know what's so beautiful? God declares us sinners. He declares us righteous through faith in Christ. And the moment he declares us righteous through faith in Christ, what comes with that? Forgiveness of sins and the adoption as sons and daughters of God. That's not something that we do for ourselves. It's a declaration. It's something that's pronounced in a moment's notice. That's our status. Of course, in our experience, we have a long ways to go. But he has that authority. Second, the glory of the Christian faith is to conquer, not through the sword, but through the message of God's forgiveness. That's, that's the glory of Christianity. It conquers through the message of the cross, the cross of forgiveness, the message of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You know what's so beautiful about God's grace? His grace is so big. It's bigger than your and my unbelief. He is able to conquer it and make room for his love in your heart. He did that with the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was persecuting Christians. Christ conquered him. And, and Christ made room in his heart for him to believe. Christ enabled him to believe. Third, when Christ forgives, what happens? He makes us whole again, complete. That's the fruit of forgiveness. We're accepted by God. By his spirit, he begins his renewing work in us already now in our relationship with the Lord. Now, so often we want to move to the next stage quickly. You have many miracle healers today who claim that, well, if you believe in Christ, you'll be healed. Right? The lame will walk, the blind will see. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Those things are still coming. Everyone still dies. You know, what we see here is a sign of greater things to come. In heaven, in the new heaven and new earth, we will be given new bodies. New bodies without any weakness, without any paralysis, without any blindness, without any blemishes, without any weaknesses. I remember this Norma that I spoke to you about earlier, one who could only move her head. Something terrible happened to her. An evangelist came in, came to her, and said, I declare you in the name of Jesus to rise up. Get up. And she went. And then she said, she was told by that evangelist, you have no faith. What a demon. What a, you could almost say that's, that's demonic. What that evangelist did is terrible, terrible. Because it's misunderstanding what the gospel is all about. The gospel is about the forgiveness of sins. She believed she was forgiven. And I had to talk with her for hours to try to comfort her again by saying, you know what? You will die too like everyone else. But God promises you a new body. 
And you will walk. You'll be jumping. You'll be leaping. You'll be praising God when he raises you from the dead. I said, don't listen to that lady. Don't listen to that evangelist. She's sent by Satan. Have nothing to do with her. And remember, if she comes again, you send her out. She was very, very comforted. And you know what? And that's what Philippians 3.21 says. He, Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body, our bodies that are breaking down. And he will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed like his glorious body. Does that mean Jesus can't heal? Well, certainly he can. But the greatest healing comes in the new heavens and in new earth. And the man being healed is a sign of that. The words of Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 come to mind. He says, there it says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the lame shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the dumb shall sing, for the water shall burst forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. You see in this paralyzed man, the waters and streams, right? Picture of life, a picture of joy, sins forgiven. And yes, there's more to come, a new body. We see a sign of that here in the lame man. You know, there are many today who want to stay far away from Jesus. But in spite of this, Christ is still being revealed today through the Bible, through the preaching. And he's doing this before God closes the door of grace. He's still doing it, offering to forgive sins, forgiving sins. Uh, we don't know the length of our days, the length of our life. But she shared with us his niece, her husband, dead, 31 years old. You know, taking to heart the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. The revelation of God's word will serve the salvation of his people. Christ reveals himself because he wants to serve his people for the glory of God. May these words also resound or sound loud in our hearts. My son, my daughter, forgiven are your sins. And may we also glorify him with our lives in the midst of all the trials, in the midst of all the brokenness, to know that God is renewing us day by day till that final day. Amen.